Welcome to my podcast, Tea with Twiggy. In each episode, I speak with a good friend of mine or someone that I find fascinating, all whilst enjoying a good cup of tea. I always enjoy these chats and have no idea where the conversation is going to go. And I hope you'll enjoy them too. My guest this week is the wonderful actor, Jim Carter. And lots of you know him as Mr. Carson in Downton Abbey. Jim, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Twiggy. It's, yeah, very well indeed. It's actually a gorgeous morning, isn't it? Is it lovely in where you are? It's absolutely still, and that that really sparkling blue sky, you know, uh, cold but uh, but nice. It was it was good walking the dog in the park this morning. Lots of bright, beautiful autumn autumnal colours. Yeah, it's actually quite quite invigorating this weather, isn't it? I, I actually love it. The autumn colours on the trees, and we had frost on the grass this morning. Did you? I did, and the first thing I did, of course, was to run out and check my dahlias to see if they'd got frosted, but they, they were all right. They're, oh, I'm so glad your dahlias are all right. Oh, I can sleep tonight. <laughs> are, you, are you a big gardener? Yeah, we love our garden, and oh. uh, I mean, this year, with the lockdown, the one advantage, I mean, it's, it's a cliche to say it, because everybody says it, but the we've had so much time in the garden, we've really got to know it up close and intimately sort of thing. <laughs> I actually think talking to a lot, I mean, I'm not a gardener, but um, even I got into a little bit. And Lee, you know, Lee, my husband, he's he's gone mad. He's suddenly become this mad gardener. <laughs> actually, he hurt his back yesterday lifting a log. I said, oh, gosh, don't do that. <laughs> a very big log. But um, But I think lots of people also, I think not only is it nice physical work, I think because of the strain of what's going on in the world it, it's actually mentally very good for people don't you think well it, it is i mean it, yeah it, it's great exercise but it's uh you know you can ex- exercise a little bit of um your artistic nature uh, and, and i need to be in the fresh air twiggy i can't be cooped up in four walls i have to be out um, you were saying you get up at six o'clock in the morning to go in your yeah, garden not- not at the moment, I don't, because it's dark. <laughs> but, no, in, early in the lockdown, we, we got oh, up. Oh, earlier uh, in the lockdown, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cause, uh, it was that wonderful period. I mean, I hate to say this, because a lot of people were having a terrible time, but we were lucky that we had the garden and the weather was great. And, uh, and uh, the dragonflies... Now, Twiggy, you've got to stay with me on this one. Go on, then. Uh, dragonflies were hatching from our pond and at one one morning Imelda set the alarm for five to five we got up down down to the pond and we saw a dragonfly actually emerging from its lava that was a, a, wow. a moment of great excitement for us did you did you film it no <laughs> we've got memories <laughs> that, that, that must be quite a, an unusual thing to see yeah it's just it was um I think it was just a good year for the pond, really. We had we must have had 20 or more uh, emperor dragonflies emerge from wow. the pond. and you got frogs? Frogs, yeah, frogs galore. Oh. And no herons this year, so the frogs uh, escaped un- unscathed. That was oh, jolly good. good. I, do, I do like a frog. Yeah, yeah, they're all <laughs> over the place. Yeah. We once um, rented a villa in Mallorca for a holiday and it had a pond in the garden and at night there were like... 
there must have we one night we counted about 50 of tiny little ones that would come out we'd have dinner on the patio because it was warm and they do and the sun would go down and they'd all come out and sit around the edge of the pond like 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 they were joining us for dinner it was divine and then they'd start making their little noises it was so magical it was fabulous i do like do, a frog do you think anybody's still listening to it <laughs> <laughs> Do you think anybody's <laughs> listening to us wittering on about dragonflies? Talking about dragonflies and frogs. Have you got your cuppa, Jim? Uh, I, well, no, 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 I've got a confession to make. I'm here under false pretenses. I don't drink tea at all. So oh, it's, don't it's, you? No, no, I can't stand. It tastes like sort of a, a metal bar or something. It's too metallic oh, for me. Have you me. Nev- never drunk tea? Ne- never liked it. I'm a coffee man. Oh, uh, okay. So... See, I've never drunk coffee. No, I mean, really. I've tasted it, but it gives me heart palpitations. No, 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 so no. Although it's tea with me, you're allowed a cup. I've had some people add a gin, so you're no. allowed. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Name names. <laughs> now, I have to take you back because we first met, I think yeah. that was when we first met, we, we played husband and wife. We did, yes. My husband. <laughs> and that was um, in... Um... Sophie's, Sophie's World. World, which was a TV uh, drama based on, I think it was a big award-winning book, wasn't it? It, it was an amazingly successful book about philosophy that sort of young yeah. people really got into, uh, written by, a, I think, a Norwegian guy. She was Norway, yeah. Uh, was Nor- it, oh, he, Justin. Yeah. Justin, I thought it was a woman. Oh, he's no. Justin. It'd be like Justin. Yeah. Garda. And... Um, and it was filmed uh, by Paul Greengrass, the uh, yeah. amazing Paul Greengrass, for, for for a BBC arts strand. It was like an hour long drama dramatization of this philosophy book. And it was, I know that um, Paul got in touch with me with about a week to go and said, "Would you like to do this?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, lovely." And there was about fifty four pages of it, and I thought, oh, and mainly me talking and you looking extremely decorative and not talking a lot. I think <laughs> and I thought, this is not right. I can't do this. He said, oh, "No, we'll whack up auto cues everywhere," and and I, I seem to remember doing a bit of juggling and wearing an improbable top hat and yeah, laughing it was a all, lot. With it was you. all kind of very surreal, wasn't it? He, the, the sets were like cartoon sets, if I remember rightly. But he was like a young unknown director, wasn't he? Yeah, God, he was great. I mean, he, he was, was good. Well, he's such a lovely man, number one. Yeah, and, he, and he's just got that can-do attitude, you know, let, yeah, let's do it. Um, years later, I, I interviewed him for uh, for a, a little theatre that I support, and uh, he was telling me about... Yeah, you. Did you see the film Captain Phillips with Tom Hanks when he was the, the captain of a, a big tanker that was... Um, I didn't, but yeah. I know of it. So so the end scene of this, uh, the, the Somali pirates have captured the tanker. Tom Hanks is taken away in the escape boat, totally traumatised, and is eventually rescued by this... They've used a real uh, United States aircraft carrier, which is about a quarter of a mile long. And Tom Hanks was rescued and taken up. And the scene wasn't working. There's a scripted scene that wasn't working. And uh, Paul Greengrass said to the captain of the, the admiral of the, the aircraft carrier, what would you do in a similar circumstances? And said, well, we'd take him straight to the medical bay and get him checked out. Where's the medical bay? At the other end of the ship. So they ran a quarter of a mile with a camera and everything. <laughs> and they improvised the final scene of the film with the real ship's doctor, this woman who was absolutely amazing. And I mean, that's just a, an example of how 
Paul Greengrass just thinks this isn't working. Let's make it work. Let's make oh, it amazing. interesting. No, yeah. he is well, that's yeah. why he's one of the top directors in the world now, isn't he? Absolutely, yeah. But you know, he's he's remained a really nice guy, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I feel very honoured that I got to work with him in his early days. It's lovely. <laughs> Now, you were brought up in Harrogate, right? Posh Yorkshire, absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, my dad was from Lancashire, so was it? a bit of the War of the Roses here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, I can hear it in your voice, too. I know, <laughs> yeah. I'm very Lancastrian. Yeah. <laughs> Book and Luke, I can, I can remember my dad always said that. I mean, he came to London when he was 20, 25, something. But he always had that Luke boot custom. Yeah. But... um. But I never really picked it up. No, no, no. no but anyway, tell that. me about growing up in Yorkshire. Yeah, it was yeah, well, it's a, a great place to grow up, really. I mean, in the, you know, in the 50s, uh, when, you, you know, if, if there was a car on the street, it was a stranger, you know. I mean, I mean, it's, it's another time. Uh, no, well, it's, we're, uh, we're about the same age. Uh, I was born in 48. I was so, born in 49. Yeah, there so we, we are. are well, the same age. Yeah. Actually, my sister, a couple of weeks ago, gave me a an old photograph because we lived off the one street off the North Circular Road. You know how busy that is in London. Yeah. Yeah. Ring road around London. And, um, and it's packed now. And (laughs) she got a picture from when in the fifties, like you said, and there's one car on the North Circular Road in the middle (laughs) Uh, absolutely it was a it was a time i mean you know kids today don't have the freedoms we had you know you 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 there was no stranger danger and uh you if you had had a bike which uh the first bike you got was a hand-me-down and then if in my case if i passed me 11 plus i got a new bike you know and, uh, <laughs> and uh, that was a passport to freedom really you you, you were off and away um uh, but I don't want to get into a nostalgia fest. But it, it was a good place to grow up, you know. Um, yeah, because well, Harrogate's yeah. a town. Uh, yeah, yeah, quite, yeah. Quite it's, a big, beautiful town, isn't it? Yeah, it is, it's a big Victorian town, yeah. really. Uh, it's a resort town because it was built around the spas, and so it, right. a lot of people think it's on the coast because there's a lot of hotels there. But it's mm-hmm. um, a lot of conference business now. Um, and, you know, surrounded by very nice Yorkshire countryside. How but I, I did know quite clearly from the age of about 15, I think, that my, my future didn't lie in Harrogate. I was, I was very, very, very clear in my head that I, I, I wanted to get away. Um, well, that's interesting because you you went to uni and did law first, didn't you? Well, yeah, uh, that why, was a bit of a, a bit laughing? of a nod. Well, it was that was sort of more the school's choice. I, I was I had an ability to pass exams. I don't think I was that bright, but I could pass exams, uh, which is a different thing. And uh, I think because I did well in my exams, they pushed me towards law. And unthinkingly, I said yeah. And then I picked uh, Sussex University in the sixties, which was. Uh, um, kind of about the hippest place you could go at that. 1967 was right in the, you know, the hippie flower power times. So there was a massive adjustment from being a, a kind of a, a small boy in Harrogate to being thrust into the, the middle of the 60s. It must and have been so exciting. Where, where is you, uh, University of Sussex? Is it in down Brighton? in Brighton, yeah, oh, which, is, which is like Hollywood to me. Yeah. Oh, it was fantastic, you know. <laughs> um, and and it, 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 it was difficult to adjust, but one of the things I did 
pretty well straight away was junk of the law and changed to English. But uh, then I found the, the Drama Society and started acting. And uh, um, in the summer of 68, uh, this this guy got some money off the Beatles. He got 100 quid off the Beatles. And when you consider that rent was £3 a week, you know, 100 quid was a sizable a chunk of money. money. I know. Uh, to do kids' theatre on the beach. So I spent my summer on the beach in Brighton doing kids' theatre and uh, um, met these people from a little experimental theatre that was starting up. And they said, well, do you want to do some plays with us? And this series of accidents happened and I dropped out of uni and into a fringe theatre for £5 a week, food and a bed, which (laughs) seemed like a good deal to me, (laughs) better than a career in the law anyway. (laughs) <laughs> I know. I mean, Lee went to um, a, a, um, what was a nightly drama school in the 60s, um, Mountview, which is now a big drama school. But it was. A, yeah, yeah. And he said, you know, again, he when he started working in rep and things, he got paid so little. He can remember sometimes, you know, going in the back and seeing if people had left any sandwiches in their dressing rooms because he was. He was because there was never enough money to eat with. Or you buy a, mm. him and his flatmate would buy a pound of potatoes and boil them up and have them. I mean, it's hysterical, really. Yeah, but God. you know, he loved what he did. Like obviously, yeah. you did. You did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've just remembered. I mean, when I went, went to Sussex, um, you know, down in Brighton, uh, at the age of nineteen, it was the first time they'd seen long spaghetti. We <laughs> 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 went. <laughs> I mean, in those days, you didn't go out for meals, really. But we did. We went to an Italian cafe, and there was uh, spaghetti. I recognised that, so I ordered that. And there was this long, stringy stuff. I thought, "What's this?" You know, they're they're, they're taking the piss, aren't they? You know, because it was well, the only was... spaghetti I'd seen up until the mid sixties, and what when I was kind of thrust into the limelight was in a in a in a tin. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. It was in, in, in an orange, a virulent orange sauce. And then this great long stuff came out. I thought, no, this is candid camera, this. <laughs> and then didn't you go off and, and, and join a circus school in America or something? I remember you telling me. Yeah, that. well, um, because I started off in fringe theatre, you know, um, I didn't go to drama school and that, never had any training. I, I was sort of wanted something I could practice on my own because um, you had to bring other stuff to the table you know you you couldn't just act you had to help write the script and build the set and write yeah. the music and I'm not musical so I, I started to teach myself juggling and tightrope walking and stilts and things like that and uh, yeah I got quite good at it but I couldn't get any further on my own and I I, I applied to this American um, circus course and luckily, the guy who ran it, I applied there because the guy who ran it had written a really good book on circus techniques. And by chance, he was in England. By chance, I was doing a show where I'd used a lot of my circus skills, which he came to see and said, right, you know, come over, be, be, you know, join in. And, and uh, the Arts Council gave me some retraining money and I went to New York for three months and I, I became quite good at juggling, tightrope walking, stilt walking, unicycling. Amazing. Um, Amazing. But, but I mean, by this time I was nearly, you know, I was late 20s by now sort of thing. So it, it wasn't like I was a teenager. Can you still walk on a tightrope? I bet you can, because it's like a bike, isn't it, once you've done it? Well, it is, but I mean, a couple of years ago, we were on holiday and there was a hippie on the beach with one of those strap lines, those sort oh, of yeah, canvas yeah, yeah. lines, and he was bouncing up and down on that. It was only a couple of feet off the floor, and I thought, kid, you never lose it. So I got on that thing, 
fell off. I mean, there's <laughs> no, no elasticity left in my body at all. <laughs> All the, the synovial fluid or whatever it is is all dried up, everything just creaking, creaking old bones. So now you do lose it, and I had lost it. I can juggle a little bit, but that's about the only skill left. But you're, you are a good mu- magician, aren't you? I'm a funny magician. I, I, I did a magic act for about 30 years, um, a stage sort of act, which was... The easy, the laziest comparison is Tommy Cooper, but it wasn't really Tommy Cooper. But it was, it was funny. And then just suddenly, I suddenly thought, Jim, I think this is getting a bit undignified now. I think, yeah, I think you're going to have to stop. <laughs> so, well, I, I have to say, Tommy Cooper is one of my favourite comedy magicians. In, I mean, that's what was brilliant about it is that he'd do it and it would go wrong, and then it would kind of go right. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but it's brilliant that you can do. And I think, did you did you love magic when you were a little boy? Because I think lots of kids get very obsessed with it. Not not in that geeky way that little boys did, but I, I did have an uncle who could pull his thumb off, which I thought was impressive. And I also my heroes weren't actors I, I wasn't you know uh, it was more like wc fields who did you know was a great comic juggler before he came a, a film actor and and buster keaton and people like that and and comedians rather than than actors so those are the people that i i looked up to and also i mean sort of between starting in the fringe and going to the circus school i'd had this um Strange stint in the States about 1970, yeah, 1974. A friend rang and he was doing a four man comedy show in America for four English guys, and one of them dropped out. And he rang me, said, Are you free? Can you come for six weeks? Um, and I went for six weeks and stayed for two and a half years doing this wow. comedy stunt show with magic and, and oh, escapology. Fabulous. And what, where did, that, you tour, did you tour theatres? Well, we started off in the Great Southeast Music Hall in Atlanta, Georgia, which is where the the, the um, Sex Pistols did their first American gig a little <laughs> bit later. Um, then we did a little sort of um, little theatre in Hell's Kitchen in New York called the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Um, scruffy little place in a scruffy little area. I say that was pretty, pretty rough then, wasn't it? Oh, you t- oh it was, yeah. it was so didn't dangerous. didn't go to was- Hell's Kitchen, my God. Oh, it, it was exciting, though, you know, I mean, was, and because we were English, we, we felt bizarrely that we were protected, you know, we thought our ac- accents would protect us uh, from people. And th- this show kind of, uh, we ran there for about six months, and it became a little quiet cult sort of um, thing, you know, and then we did nine months in Boston and uh, Philadelphia, Chicago, colleges, toured around. And and during that time, I was picking up more magic tricks and hanging out with magicians and jugglers and things like that. And And was that your first time in the United States? It was. I I landed August, I think it was the 17th of August, 1974, on the same day that Philip Petit walked the world, the tightrope between the World Trade Centres. And I thought, oh, this is my kind of town, you know. I I like this. Um, That's right. And did it blow blow you away, America? I mean, because I went out in, like, 67, and it was just like, because I'd only ever seen it on the films. Yeah. It, it felt like I'd stepped into a film. It, stepped like I'd, I'd, it felt like I'd stepped into Midnight Cowboy, the film, because we were living in that same sleazy area down there. And 
we don't, you know, we didn't have McDonald's, we didn't have Gap, we didn't have any of the American products over here, and we, and we didn't have fat cops with guns and yellow cabs and steam coming out yeah. of the road and the chaos and the uh, the twenty four hours. I, I'd never heard of someone saying, "Shall we order in some food?" What do you, what do you mm. talk? What, I don't know what those words mean. Order in some food. You know, um, we'd finish our show at. 11 at night and we go to a comedy club till four in the morning and, and mm. it was just a 24-hour lifestyle and I'd also I'd, I'd never felt I mean coming from Harrogate I'd never felt that, that I'd been in a minority before so I'd, I'd never been in such a melting pot I mean London is now you know pretty diverse uh, but then it was it was so exotic, you know, to see in you know, every racial type, every, every kind of person, mm. all jammed into this, you know, helter skelter city. I know it's quite exciting. I remembered being um, just so amazed and excited by it. I mean, I I I, I went over modelling. I didn't um, I didn't perform there till much later. But it is an extraordinary. I love I love Manhattan. I always think of it as like if I couldn't live in England and London, I'd probably live there. I couldn't go there now, though. I don't like it now. It's it's it's. I think it's a young person's place. And yeah, now that, you're probably right. Yeah, the the energy is not for me, and it's too much concrete and all that. that so I, you know, I, I don't want that anymore in my life, really. Um, and that came home to us when uh, about 20 years ago, Imelda did a cabaret over there and we took our daughter, who was seven at the time, and seeing it through a child's eyes, we thought, actually, we're much better off in London, which is leafier and greener and yeah. safer. Um, uh, taking her for a walk in, you know, Central Park, you know. No, don't, get, get, don't go near that man, darling. No, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't pick up those needles. <laughs> And that's not a cat running through the leaves. It's about, I, I can remember yeah. seeing rats in Central Park. <laughs> but I don't want to put people off because New York is a wonderful, wonderful town. And, it, you know, you've, you've done theatre there. No, only that time. That's that, oh, then, you, haven't, uh, you haven't ever gone back because you've done so <laughs> much theatre. I mean, I knew bits of it, but when I looked at your um, biog, when I was researching you, <laughs> what's she going to come up with next? You've done so much theatre, National Theatre, the old Vic. Have you got ones that really stand out in your mind that you're so proud of? And um, I had the best time I had really was at the National Theatre uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, when I, I was there for two and a half years. Uh, and in those days, there was a, an Olivier Theatre Company and a Cottesloe Theatre Company. Um, and you sort of did every play that came up. And I did seven or eight plays there. And the highlight of which was the, the last one I did, which was the musical Guys and Dolls, um, which was... But it was a huge hit, wasn't it? It, it was a big hit. And... Yeah. and it felt bigger because we went out there in trepidation, really, because a lot of people were looking for it to fail. They think there's a lot of negativity about the National Theatre doing an American musical uh, and would English actors be any good in an American musical? So when we walked out with uh, and, and we just walked into a wall of noise and people went crazy for it, um, it, was, it was an exciting thing. And for me, that was... Then I was probably in my, yeah, my early 30s then. 
uh, early to mid thirties, it was my passport out of theatre in a way because it was the first thing I'd ever done that people had seen. Uh, you know, so also, it, didn't you fall in love? Oh my God, <laughs> darling, we we did. Um, yeah, the read through August. Was, yeah, oh, uh, August. Uh, no, what was it? Um, January the 4th, 1982, the read-through. It's the first time I saw Imelda. And oh. in October 83, we got married. Yeah. Oh. So it's, it's all that going for it. Oh, <laughs> that helps. That helps. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you've been together, gosh. Yeah, uh, we just had our 37th yeah. anniversary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lee and I just had our 30... We've known... We've been together 35 years, married 33. Yeah. And so you're, you've beaten us. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's one of my proudest achievements to have beaten you on the anniversary stakes, Twiggy. <laughs> <laughs> now, the last time we saw each other was uh, our lovely friends, Dominic Cook, the uh, director, and yeah. Alexi Campbell, the writer. And you told you were telling us this story of when you were in a cowboy in a cowboy film. <gasps> Oh, oh, you've got to just tell it again because <clears throat> it's such a brilliant story. Well, <laughs> I was at the, I was at the national at the time, and you, you get gaps in, in in the shows, and I had about a, a two week gap, and and I was offered this job in a in a spaghetti western down in in Almeria in the south of Spain, playing the baddie. Um, so I, I went down there and I got dressed in my baddie's outfit and uh, I was very excited. And it was the same set as they'd used in Once Upon a Time in America. No, Once Upon a Time in the West. That, yeah, um, it was in one of the great Sergio Leone sort of spaghetti westerns. So I was very excited about this. Had all the black costume on and had one one gun on, on one hip. And so I'd do this cool swiveling and pulling out the gun and shooting something. And swizzling it around, dropping it back into the holster, so thrilled by that. Scene came up, pushed open the saloon doors. Um, Tom Berenger is the hero. I have a bit of moody dialogue with somebody else and then, and then turn to Tom Berenger, pull out my gun and shoot. And swivel the gun, put it back into the holster. And the director says, cut. And he said, Jim, yeah, the gun makes the noise. <laughs> and I, I had gone... Because if you're brought up in Harrogate, you don't shoot many guns. And, I, and, I, and it's very hard to shoot a gun if you've played Cowboys and Indians all your life without going... <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I got over it. So sweet. It's such a sweet... I love that. <laughs> Oh, I, I went bright red, yeah. I wonder if anyone's got that take. I hope <laughs> not. I hope not. I'm not even going to tell you the name of the film so nobody can research. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> and the time before that that I saw you was at Buckingham Palace, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, excuse me, Dame Twiggy. Posh. <laughs> yeah, you were you were getting your damehood, and you, and you splashed coffee all down your front before you came out in your white suit or something. No, I what I'd done, I was panicking, getting ready, and being on time because you can't be late at the palace, can you? And they'd said, as you know, they send because you were there getting your OBE, right? That's right. Yeah, they send you strict instructions. You have to be there at exact this time and exact, and you know, and there was all the searching and the security to go. And so I knew I couldn't be late. And I'd got dressed and my suit was cream, you know, it was a cream trouser suit. And then I found a hat 
that actually my little granddaughter Joni picked out because I got trouble picking the colour and she said, Mimi, this one's nice. Anyway, I was putting a hat pin through it and I pricked my finger very lightly, but obviously a little drop of blood went on the front of me. Waistcoat! <laughs> oh, no. So, and I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And so Carly, my daughter, was there getting ready with me. And she she had, she'd heard, actually, I tell you, it sounds horrible, but if you put it, get, get a tissue and put a bit of spit on it, it takes blood out, and it worked. Well, there's a tip for everybody. <laughs> it's not tea with Twiggy, it's household tips with Twiggy. <laughs> spit on your waistcoat. So I, I got, we got rid of the, the, the little dot of blood and I tottered off to the palace and bumped into you it was yeah. a lovely day though wasn't it I loved yeah, it, was, it didn't you yeah it was it was nice and what was nice they, they they sort of stack you up um like planes circling at Heathrow sort of in an anteroom before you could <laughs> call forward and the people that I was talking to you know it, it, it was it was very humbling I mean people who'd done amazing service and you know really deserve these uh, you know these honors for yeah, the I service agree. that they'd given you know without with a lot of monetary reward but my god and talking to them was was really humbling it was great and they do they do i mean the newspapers always print the kind of well known people like yeah me, yeah like yeah and, um yeah you know but actually and they don't often get into the papers but actually mm. they're the ones who should but they don't because they're not well known but it's lovely that they do give them these honors because they're well it's also well, great that hopefully we're recognizing and hopefully we won't forget you know during lockdown who are the people we rely on it's the people providing all those essential services and the oh, key absolutely. workers and the care workers that we that that's what keeps the country going i know but isn't it about time they all got a bit of a rise you... oh yeah a bit, bit of recognition a bit of a rise yeah you know we, the government asked us which we all were happy to do to go out and clap which i think most yeah. people in the country did but I think the government really owe those nurses and doctors so much. Yeah, it's yeah. It's like we're going into another kind of spike of it. So, you know, they're, they're the heroes, really, of the whole Yeah, story, completely, completely. God, doesn't that first clap, clap for the NHS, doesn't that seem a long time ago now? I know. It was quite yeah. emotional, actually, wasn't it? Oh, it was, it was great in the streets, you know. You, you're talking to neighbours and we had a guy over the road sort of, brought out a, a trombone to play couldn't it just sounded like a cow with indigestion <laughs> you know really not good at all but it, it perked us all up you know? we had one up the road here and he he, he used to come out with his bagpipes <laughs> that we did so lucky i don't live near you <laughs> Now, most people in the world know you from an amazing TV series called Downton Abbey. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, when that came along, did you have any idea that it was going to... I mean, it's enormous. When, when the first series was out, I was in America. I was a judge on America's Next Top Model. And Americans were obsessed with it. Yeah. All they wanted to ask me was if I knew anybody from Downton. I said, <laughs> yeah. I do, I knew Mr. Carson, actually. <laughs> they were very impressed. Yeah. yeah. No, we had, we had, of course, we had no idea. You know, the script came in. And to be quite honest, ITV didn't have a big reputation for doing period drama. It was oh, period drama, it was the province the BBC, of the BBC, yeah, you that's know. Right. Um, but uh, 
when I was sent the script, and I had to go and meet and audition for it like everybody else, apart mm-hmm. from Maggie Smith, I would imagine. But mm-hmm. they, they said that Maggie Smith was a, attached to it. And I thought, oh, well, that's that's a sign of quality. That's different because Maggie doesn't do much telly. You could, it's yeah. hard to think of much telly she's done. So, you know, we, we did it and had great production values and felt very cinematic and everything. But And then it opened in England and did really well. But then when we went to America to publicise to publicize the second series, that's when we realised how big it had become because walking down the street in Manhattan, being recognised, or my eyebrows being recognised, <laughs> every 20 yards. And if, if I opened my mouth and spoke, that was it. I was, was, I was nailed, you know. Um, so, and it, it was sold in every territory in the world that no. buys television, which is extraordinary, you know. But I think, you know, the Amer- well, the Americans love that kind of period drama anyway. And I think it just, well, it's so, it's, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful series. I mean, I, I was absolutely hooked. And as you say, the production values. Yeah. Brilliant, and the scripts, the story. Yeah, it, it did. I mean, all the quality around the, the you know, the makeup, the wigs, the cost- costumes. I mean, they deserve an exhibition on their own, you know. I know. Um, and, and the cast. Lovely Michelle Dockery playing. Yeah. Oh, she was so gorgeous. Well, everyone was. Have you ever heard Michelle sing? Yes. Oh, my we God. Came, we came, you probably don't remember, but you and Imelda and I can't remember, I think you two were like, it was your your charity at this, at what was uh, the, it? The, the Kiln Theatre. It was the raising money theater. for the Kiln Theatre. Yeah, yeah, and in, Michelle in sang with. Uh, um, with uh, Michael Fox, who plays um, Andy the Footman, yeah. Yeah, and. Oh, she blew me away! Fantastic. She's still singing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She and uh, she and uh, Michael sort of write music together, so Good. hopefully they, they, they'll carry on with that. Yeah. No, I, I, it's very much my sort of music. That I mm. absolutely loved it. Yeah. She's such a lovely girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely actress and a lovely Lady girl. Mary, Carson Lady and Lady Mary. Mary, special bond. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You must all get so close when because how many seasons have you done? Uh, we did six uh, years of telly, and we've done one film. So uh, oh, you must all get so. That's I mean, that's you know, you get close in a theatre production. Um, you you get closer in the theatre. Yeah, yeah, maybe, you get closer yeah. in the theatre because you you. So you have all the rehearsal period. I mean, with TV, you know, you do get close, but um, then you all split off to your own homes at night and you have the breaks. And, I mean, half the time, you know, the the kitchen staff never met any of the upstairs people because they were never, uh, very rarely, in the same scenes together. No, that's true. That's very, very true. Mm. And you've been nominated lots of times for that for Emmys, haven't you? Yeah, that's strange. All that stuff, you know. You go Why? out there. <laughs> Have you? Did you go? Did you go to the the, the ceremonies? I, I did because uh, it's you know you you have an obligation to sort of support and yeah, uh, the, the program and stuff. But it's not it's my f- to be nominated. It's you know. It's... Yeah, but Twiggy, when you you're in this place and and nobody's got their own faces on and you know (laughs) you're looking down at these mottled claw-like hands and then up at the face of a 25 year old you think that can't be right and because I don't watch enough telly I don't know who anybody is so I'm I'm just got this faint smile on my face in case I'm supposed to be polite to them or not just nod and smile right (laughs) nod and smile and get me back to the hotel so I can have a drink you know um (laughs) 
Um, I did meet the people from Modern Family. Modern Family used to make me laugh, so I did. I did like bumping into them because I re- at least I recognised Phil Dunphy from Modern oh. Family. <laughs> I've never, I've never been to the Emmys, but I've, I've presented twice at the Oscars. And that's oh, hysterical. It's just so because oh. you walk down all the corridors and you just bump into like really famous people. It's like mad. But they kind of get you in there early and you can't get out. They no, no, no. Lock the doors. <laughs> God forbid if you, somebody said if you're in the audience, because I was backstage because we were presenting, but um because it was when I was doing my one and only on Broadway. So that they flew us into California. And we did a tap dance and then presented whatever I kind of, I think it was best costume for something. And people in the audience said that they tell you when you go into the auditorium, please go to the bathroom because once you're sitting down, you can go to the bathroom. <laughs> but now now they have seat fillers. So if you do go to the bathroom, you then a seat filler comes in and, and, and sits in your seat so they don't see any empty seats That's out just, there. I mean, it is and mad, so, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the other thing I want to ask you, which I didn't know about you, you're a really big cyclist and have done amazing journeys, miles and miles and miles across continents. Yeah, yeah, well, that that was... All um, for charity. Yeah, all for charity, yeah. That was uh, uh, my best mate when we both turned 50 at the same time, so quite a long time ago now. Um, He said, come on, Jim, we need a challenge, and I've seen this thing on the front of the paper, uh, cycle across Jordan to raise money for deaf children. So I I thought, well, I've got a bike. So... um, um, so we went out training and, well, went out for a bike ride, did 15 miles and was absolutely wasted at the end of 15 miles. And he said, you know, we're doing four times this amount on the first morning. I thought, oh, my God, <laughs> what? <laughs> so, and, um, so I did, I cycled once a year after that. I did, what did I, I did Jordan, Costa Rica, Ghana, Chile, Vietnam, Thailand, um, India, all sorts of exciting, exciting places. And I can look back on those bike rides. They were such vivid experiences. And I can remember almost every session of every day of the bike ride. You ask me about work I've done over the last 22 years, and I'll struggle to come up with three names. You know, But they were so vivid. And the great thing is, as well as being an adventure, getting you get fit, you cycle through places you'd never dream of going as a tourist, uh, through little backwaters and taking little ferries across the Mekong River wow. and stuff. Um, that um, you know, and you're raising good money for good charities. So it was and a win-win. Where do, you, where do you, I mean, did you have to book into? Hotels or, it's or all, B&Bs it's, or, or did you sleep in a tent? Uh, so sometimes in tents, sometimes on the, uh, in Jordan we slept in a Bedouin tent made of goat skins uh, one night. So in Laos uh, we slept on the floors of, of schools, you know, just in sleeping bags on the How wooden amazing. floors of huts and things. Um, Namibia. Were you, ever ner- were, you, were you ever nervous? No, I never mean, nervous. Danger. No, not at all. No. Um, oh, that's nice. Uh, they were brilliantly organised. You, you get, you know, a backup uh, vehicle. So if you if you do collapse, I, I had heat stroke in Namibia and, and got really shaky. So um, th- there's a backup truck, so you can sort of sit in that, and they take your bike for you. You know, um, you're well looked after. There's a doctor cycles with you, so you're well looked after. So it's the perfect middle-aged adventure really you know because you're safe but you're doing things you'd never dream of doing 
Um, and do you do you ride a bike around London? I, I do a little bit. I, I need to get back into it more. I, uh, I sort of I've slowed down on the bike a bit, but I, I need to just put it back into my daily life. So if I'm cycling anywhere, I, you know, if I'm got to go anywhere local or anything, I go on the bike. So um, mm. I've been a bit lazy on it recently. But I hope you go on bike lanes. Uh, of course. Oh yeah, yeah. And I Not don't on the road. I don't crash through traffic lights and stuff no. like that because I drive a car. I know how annoying cyclists can be. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't well, go most back. of them are all right, but you do get. I've had a few aggressive ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who hate cars? <laughs> yeah. Probably hate women driving cars, but you have to kind of live with that. I just wanted to tell you when I mentioned to um, uh, Lee, Lee, my stepson Ace, who I you remember, um, he's now a grown man. He's in his forties, but I've mentioned that I was you were going to come on my podcast. And he's still got this wonderful memory of when he was a little boy. And it must have been before I met Lee, because um, it must have been when he was about six or seven, he thinks. And Lee brought him to see you in a production. Some, I think it was at the National, would it have been? Anyway, they came backstage to say hello. And you took Ace out onto the stage and showed him the sets. And you took him and showed him all the, you know, all the props. And and he said you were so lovely to him. And he said he's never, ever, you know, like kids, they never forget things like that, do they? And so he said to say hello. Oh, right. And, and you know, he's a theatre director now and a teacher. So he said it was probably Jim who gave me the the, the bug. Oh, well, that's, that's great. Do that sort of thing. But anyway, you're a very, very lovely man. And, and he... he he said to send his love. Good. <laughs> Tell him it was an aberration. I've never been nice to anybody since. <laughs> <laughs> so have you have you read any decent books? I, I've been reading a lot. I've been reading a lot. Um, where where the crawdads sing? Have you read that? That's a fantastic. No. Oh, that's a fa- I can't remember the writer. It's a female writer. I'll look it up. Yeah. Don't worry. Where the crawdads where the craw- sing? Crawdads okay. sing. It's, it's it's set in Swampland, America. It's fantastic. Um, oh. At the moment, I'm reading Craig Brown's book on the Beatles. Uh, oh. I've forgotten the title of it, but it's um, it's fantastic because it's a wonderful. Um, haven't got to you yet. You must be in there, Twiggy. If it's about the Beatles, you've got to be in there somewhere, haven't you? I might be. I mean, is it obviously set in the sixties? It, it, it's wonderful. I, I usually pop up if it's sixties. <laughs> you're you're Come always there. God, it's I'm not her again. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really, really entertaining and perfect to read in bed because it's a very short chapter. So you think, oh, I'll get to the end of oh, this yeah. chapter, then I can put it away without losing the, the story sort of thing. So uh, I think books have done very, very well, actually, which is lovely. I think people have got back into reading books. And I've got really into cook. I love cooking anyway, and I've really got into cooking. Mm. And you've got into your garden. Yeah. And any, any new skills? Uh, no. I, I've um, A while ago, I was chairman of my local cricket club, and uh, I've just gone back to doing that. So I'm going to do that for So that's taking up a lot of my time with cricket administration. And um, So uh, do you play? Uh, no. The size of me, the state of me. I, I used to... <laughs> I used to play pub, th- uh, pub and theatre cricket many years ago, but then oh, yeah, okay. it takes up all day. And with a family, you, you, you can't be sort of doing that. So um, 
so I'm, I'm, I'm doing that. That's, that in, it takes up a lot of time, which is great. So that uses my brain. And what do you think is going to what do you think is going to happen with theatre and things? I've talked to everyone who's in that world, and you know, do you think it will bounce back eventually, or it will eventually, but maybe not as we know it. Uh, mm. You know, can they? Will the the buildings survive? The buildings will they crumble? I don't know. Um, mm. But people will put on theatre, whether it's on street corners in telephone kiosks or annoyingly on the platforms of uh, train stations. People will do it. People want to hear stories. People want the communal experience of theatre. Um, I say the Imelda was telling me that, you know, doing um, the talking heads, that yeah. people, all, you know, they're ma- mainly sold out, aren't they? Yeah, sold out. People, people want um, She finished desperate... on Saturday night with that. But, uh, oh, did she? They're... Um, People were desperate to, you know, oh, come on, you know, to, to be back in the theatre for just for the oh, experience no. of it. Um, so it will survive in a different form and maybe they'll have to sort of cut down on on budgets and things. I mean, it might be much simpler, but uh, I, I, I worry for kids going to drama school and coming out of drama school into oh, what, no. you know. I mean, I know. no work for them, not even bar work for them, you know. I know, it's, it's terribly worrying. I was watching... TV the other night and all the, it's the young ones that your heart goes out to really isn't it their social lives have been so affected and their working lives yeah but you see when I started you know we worked for no money but then we didn't need money it was you know it wasn't the consumerist world we live in nowadays you know you could live on you know a tenner a week or something like that and you had no possessions you had no phones or cars and you didn't own a house and have a mortgage but uh, it's a different no, world now so it's whether people can start off in that way with no money in the same way I, I, I wonder I do too but anyway we have to think positively we, we will we are. <laughs> I think the hu- I mean, you know, the one good thing that may become out of it is that we're all going to be much more careful how we treat our planet because there's no doubt that with the lockdown and, you know, the lack of flights, the lack of cars for months and months and months, the planet started to perk up, didn't it? Well, you and I might think that, but whether Donald Trump or whoever gets elected in America thinks like that, and I think they, they probably emit more, Donald Trump emits well, more true. gas on his own than, than most of Europe, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, uh, on that note, <laughs> that's, that's a brilliant way to end our chat. <laughs> Thinking of Donald Trump's gas. <laughs> anyway, thank you for having tea with me, and let's hope we can actually do it properly. Lovely. Soon. That'd be great, Twiggy. Thank be, you. Probably be next year. Yeah, I should think. That's the date. Give my love to Imelda and your lovely uh, daughter Bessie. I will. And um, I'll talk to you soon. Lovely. Thanks, darling. Lots of love. Bye bye. Oh, I really enjoyed my chat with Jim. He really makes me laugh. He's always made me laugh. He's such a lovely man and a wonderful actor. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and had a good giggle. We all need a giggle at the moment. Bye. If this is your first time listening to Tea with Twiggy, please do remember to tell your friends. You can also subscribe for free on your podcast app and listen to all my previous guests. If you want to connect with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Twiggy or you can find me on Instagram at Twiggy Lawson. My thanks go to all the people that have helped this podcast happen. 
Many thanks to James Carroll and all the team at North Bank Talent Management. Thanks to all the team at Stripped Media, including Ben Williams, who edits the show, my producer, Kobe Omanaka, and executive producers, Tom Wally and Dave Corkery. The music you can hear now is my version of Waterloo Sunset by The Kinks. If you'd like to hear the whole song, you can find it and all the other songs I've recorded on iTunes and Spotify. So check it out. I look forward to you joining me for my next episode. So see you then. Bye. heard a stripped media production. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.